I am so excited that I'm having this conversation with Jan Walker Mayer. Jan was sent out by Lake Avenue Church. Well, she's going to tell you that in just a second, um, but it's been the privilege of having Jan be one of our missionary workers for many years. Jan, um, let's just start with, when did you become part of the Lake family? And then well, tell us about where you were sent out to and the, the group you went with. Okay. In 1971, I relocated to the Pasadena area so I could teach at San Gabriel Christian School. And my first Sunday in the area, I went with my great aunt to her church, but they didn't have an evening service. So that night I went to, I came to Lake and it was such a good fit that I just stayed around there. Um, I never looked back. Ray Ortland was the pastor and I got involved in the single Sunday school class called Grad Group, where I later met uh, Roger and Lily Bosch. My passion was already in missions, so I helped launch a missions committee right there in that Sunday school class. It was 10 years later in 1981 when Lake Avenue sent me out as a career missionary with Wycliffe Bible Translators. I'd already spent two years in Peru working uh, with kids as a teacher. And while I was there, my curiosity about linguistics was picked. So when I came back, I took the Summer Institute of Linguistics course just to find out what is linguistics. And I found, yes, it's hard, but also it was fun. It was challenging. And it was kind of like solving mysteries. I was hooked. I've often heard people describe linguistics just that way. It's sort of cracking a code. And for all of us, and I even was an English major in college, but for all of us still who even maybe love words, the idea of linguistics and grammar and all those things. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, but love that that's how God captured your heart for translation. Uh, so let's just talk a little bit about that. Why is, it, why is translation work so important? Why, why is it important that people have the Bible in their mother tongue? their first language? Well, I chose Wycliffe Bible Translators because God had already used his word in my life so powerfully that I couldn't ignore it. And I felt like everybody should have that opportunity, shouldn't they, to have God's word available to them? So when I began my assignments in Bolivia and later in Peru, I noticed that the local churches were uh, few and far between, and that their pastors, well, a sermon was more or less um, reading the Spanish Bible, which was the only thing available in kind of their halting Spanish, and then trying to translate it into Quechua. Sometimes they got it right, and sometimes they didn't. Their theological training was all in Spanish. So, um, the understanding of the Bible was not great among those peoples. Because we often associate with Latin America and Central America, South of our border, that, that, that Spanish uh, is the dominant native language. And it is for, for many, millions and millions and millions. However, many have another language that's their first language. And even, exactly. the, Quechua, even the Quechua people, there's so many different Quechua languages. And we're going to come full circle to that in, in just a moment. 
we, you had a very special opportunity um, about uh, almost two years ago, I guess soon now, and that was to celebrate the completion of an entire copy of the Bible in a Quechua language. Tell us a little bit about that. What was it like to celebrate the, the completion of an entire Bible um, with a language group that had been part of your heart and ministry for all these years? The closest I can say it, it's like a foretaste of heaven. When I finally got there after, you know, God had to do some pretty special things to open the opportunity, starting with Lake Avenue, um, paying for my way down there and back, and our daughters being able to take care of my husband while I was gone, and the hospice arranging for him to go. I mean, it was just one thing and another, but I got there and, um, there was the association, the Quechua Association had organized this huge event in a huge stadium. They had planned for this big parade to um, gather people and build excitement, three miles of walking uphill to the, and you're already at 10,000 feet, to the stadium and then getting into the stadium and these two young um lady and, and gentlemen were speaking all Quechua. They did a fantastic job of emceeing the whole thing. Many of the church leaders that I had had a, the privilege of training in how to read their language fluently so that they wouldn't be embarrassed in front of their congregations. They had parts, very important roles in the um, dedication and um, just seeing so many Quechua friends and colleagues that I'd worked so closely with over the years, well, it was just really an emotional experience for me and for them. Man, it sounds, Jan, it sounds like the, in many ways the, the, the most beautiful kind of culmination exactly. of, of a life contribution in so many ways. What an, yeah. what an incredible moment. Um, when you think of uh, today, wh why would someone want to do something like that with their life today? Well, I'll just say it right up here. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 tells us that, well, Jesus commissioned us all to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But he ended it with the promise that he'd be with us as we did that. And I just wanted to put in a little pitch for Bible translation. I know it's not the only way to fulfill the Great Commission, but right now their um, frontier is kind of an exciting one. It's all these sign languages around the world. And um, I just learned that out of all the many sign languages that are spoken, like every country has at least one, but there's only one in all the world that even has a Bible accessible to it. And that would be the American Sign Language. And just since last fall, they um, opened up the Bible to three and a half million men, women and children that can now read or hear or understand God's word that were had no, no way to access it. An exciting thought. It opens it up to some of you that don't think you'd fit in. You've probably heard that if God doesn't call you to go, he can use your gifts to pray or to encourage or to finance. But still, in other words, none of us has an excuse to ignore what God's great commission is. 
What you're saying is, it's not an option. That's right. It's not an option. <laughs> Thank you for reminding us that there are many roles. And the question is just, how can we fit? What part can we play? But the fact that today, um, as we join with these Quechua people and celebrate the completion of Scripture to them, um, we do so in not just celebration of that, but we're going to do so by praying for those peoples around the world, those whole groups of peoples who are still Bibleists to this day. Yeah. Thank you for being with us today and for sharing some of that story and that we get to celebrate with you and this significant moment in your life witness and faithfulness. Jan, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Fifty-five years. This represents 55 years of work. Forty years ago, we sent Jan Walker to that place. And I'm going to add lib. Because online. <clears throat> online, someone just wrote, Thank you for loving my country. And for all the work you have done Lake Avenue to bring Jesus to my people. <clears throat> there are about 6,500 languages spoken in the world. As of September 2020, the full Bible has been translated into approximately only 700 languages. The New Testament, maybe another 1,600, and another maybe 1,100 languages that have some portion of Scripture or a story. In English, for those of us who our native tongue is English, we have over 750 English translations alone. Meanwhile, 3,000 significant people groups around the world have zero words of scripture yet translated into their heart language. There is still some wonderful opportunity and work to be done, which is why today we decided instead of a family ministries video, we wanted all of our kids and families and all of us together to hear the story of Jan Walker, who 40 years ago said, I want to be a part of that. Because kids and students we believe there's a lot of you out there that are saying, wow, could I do something like that? That's what Jan Walker asked God all those years ago. Today we want to pray specifically for Bibleless people. So would you bow your heads with me as I lead us in prayer? The book of Isaiah, God says this, says this to his people, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return void. It shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper where I send it. So Lord, we pray today focused on your living word. John 1.1 1, 1 tells us that in the beginning the word always existed and the word was with God and the word was God. Lord, we pray that the last languages of the world would receive the scriptures in whatever and all forms they are needed. Would you provide every person in the world with his word? God, Paul wrote these words that nations and peoples, they seek after you and perhaps they, they feel their way toward you and, and find you 
though you are not far. We pray for the Bibleist peoples that they would hunger and thirst for God's word and a language and a form that speaks to their hearts. God, we pray for those Bibleist peoples that once they begin to engage scripture as we just heard about this Quechua language that the local pastors and leaders and as they study for themselves it will be translated powerfully into their lives. Father, we hear the word of your son Jesus who said, pray to you, you who are in charge of the harvest to send out more workers. So we pray. We pray for more language and support workers around the world to be called and trained and sent into translation and literacy work. Even from us, Lord, raise up new workers here at Lake and that we might send. And we hear the, the admonition that we read recently in Philippians from Paul to hold firmly to the word of life. So, Lord, with the workers in mind and all of those who support them, we pray for their perseverance. We pray for their protection. We pray for their health. We pray for their support that all of those involved in Bible translation would not grow weary or give up before the work is complete, as even as we have celebrated the completion of this work today. And, God, we pray specifically for those sent out from us here at Lake to be part of this effort. Bruce and Gigi Benedict, Craig and Lanny Soderberg, Michael and Danielle Smith, Tim and Jan Stoker, Betty and Alan Johnson. We thank you for their life investment and faithfulness. And we thank you for the faithfulness of our retired Lake Translation and Literacy workers, Diane Moore, Carolyn Waltz, March France, Ron and Gloria Ryan, and Jan Walker, with whom today we celebrate the end of this 55-year journey so that this Quechua dialect might have scripture in their heart language. We say thank you, God, for faithfulness. May it bear much fruit until the end of the age. We pray that it will not, as you declared, return void. And we pray this together, and all God's people said, amen. Friends, this is a part of what Lake Ministry looks like. On your screen, there will be a giving tab. You can always go to our lake, our lake website in the corner at the end of the service. For those of you here, it's so good to see so many. Welcome back, friends. There will be a chance you can give to the ushers if you want to give physically. But friends, this is what we give for, to see God's word go forth, see lives changed. This June, we begin a a new series. Many throughout time have called this passage that's going to be our focus passage, um, sort of the job description of what it means to be God's people, how it is past, present, and future. We, We live it out in faith. And we live it out in obedience. And so we're going to look at Exodus 19, 1 to 6 for the next four weeks as we ask God, what would you say to us? And as we see how God's been at work through those we have sent from Lake Avenue around the world. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Exodus 19, 1 to 6. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We could just wrap it up. What a testimony, what a church we have been privileged uh, to be a part of. I'm so grateful for all those names that are currently doing Bible translation, the ones that have, have retired, although no one ever really retires from ministry, and especially th- those names I know well, Diane Moore has not retired from anything. Today, if you're not aware, if you don't have children in your home anymore, it's Promotion Sunday at Lake Avenue Church. Our kids go to the next grade. If they are in the same ministry, not much of a change, but for many, this is the jump out of uh, children's ministry into Club 45, or from Club 45 into middle school, or middle school into high school, and even high school students today, as they promote into college, have a barbecue this afternoon. In our home, believe it or not, believe it or not, our youngest, Russell, is no longer a child, according to Lake Avenue Church. He is in Club 45. He wanted cash because they're going to the hat today. Yeah. Uh, I should be a good neighbor to the hat, but they are responsible for some of the extra pounds on your pastor. (laughs) And as as excited as he is and we are for him to be in the student ministry at Lake, it's deeply meaningful to us. I'm also lamenting. I'm lamenting that uh, he is getting to that age where the instructions that I give him as his father are gonna start being a discussion, not just something to take. Um, We often, and I've shared this with you, we talk a lot in our home about what it means to be a Madisich. And as my children grow older, I am very aware that I have great influence on them while they are concrete, thinking children. But as they get older, the discussions change from okay, dad, to why. I'm lamenting that for our little Russell, what has been clear for him, black and white, yes and no, is moving into that realm of discussion and option. But I know that we just have a few minutes with them, really, a few years with them to influence them into the very identity that we believe our family is about, ultimately because of who Jesus is in our life. And ultimately, that's what God wants to do with each one of us is through his word and through his ways influence you and I that our primary identity would be that of a child of God, would be that as someone who has been saved by Jesus and all the other identities we carry, whatever your vocation is, whatever the values are that drive you personally or in your family, in your community, all of those other identities as followers of Jesus, are to be under the ultimate identity of what it means to be a child of God. 
And why we have chosen this Exodus scripture in verse 19 is because these are identity forming statements that God is speaking to his people that still have teeth and carry into you and me because the, what we're gonna see over the next four weeks is that although the first Exodus, which we will look at, where God rescued a particular group of people from slavery, from oppression, set them free. We are people not only of the knowledge of the first Exodus, we are people of the second Exodus. When Jesus came to rescue all people through the sacrifice, his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. What we'll see is that the, what, G, what God is beginning here in Exodus 19 carries all the way through to today. And I just have a brief task today to give an overview of this text as we jump into it more specifically over the next three weeks, but I also want to prepare you for the good news that over the next three weeks you'll hear more stories from those who are part of our church family who serve God globally because we need them. We need them, and that is a change for many of us. Let me explain. The, the day and the narrative I grew up with missions is that there are certain people who are gifted to be missionaries and churches like ours send them and that we are the energy and the source behind the efforts that God has called them to do, and that's true. But I believe very deeply that our international staff, the missionaries that are part of Lake Avenue Church, have lived in the world that you and I are living in right now. They've just lived it a, whole long, a lot longer. See, they know what it looks like to show up in, a, in an area where Jesus isn't known, where, the, where the, the culture around the community that God's called them to might even reject God and the ways of God. And they, through dedication, through prayer, through watching the Holy Spirit work, have found ways to bring the name of Jesus into places where Jesus is not loud and known. And, and welcome to the United States. Welcome to Los Angeles. As much as I wish we were in a community where the name of Jesus was profoundly shaping the culture around us, that's just not true. And we need our missionaries to tell their stories of what it looks like to serve God faithfully so that you and I can understand what it looks like to serve God faithfully. Our relationship with our international staff needs to be mutual more than ever because yes, we send, but we need them to teach. And over the next three weeks, we're gonna let them teach through story. We're gonna let them teach through sharing with us what it looks like to live the very scripture that we are reading today. Exodus 19, verses 1 to 6, there's just three observations I want to begin this month for us to think about. Big ideas in this text. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 4. Notice how God begins this identity-forming statement he's giving Moses to give to the people. God begins by looking backwards. In verse four, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Before, Jesus, before God is about to tell the people what he wants them to do and who he's made them to be, God always begins with who he is and what he has done. 
God begins in verse four by looking to the past. That's a more distant past for us than it is for the people at this time. We see this is about three months after uh, the Israelites have been delivered. But essentially what God is telling them is before I tell you what I want you to do, I will remind you of what I have done. Before God tells us what to do, God tells us what he has done. In the story of Exodus, there are 19 chapters that can be characterized by God's grace. 19 chapters where God is declaring that he's heard his people and that he's going to deliver them. That his love for them, his grace for this particular group of people was the main story for 19 chapters. Why is this important? Because up till now, we do not have the law. Exodus 20, soon after, Moses is going to receive the Ten Commandments, and then the law comes to this group of people. Lake Avenue Church, hear this. In Exodus 19, and I would say it's true today, that the grace of God always precedes the law of God. What God has done frames what God wants us to do. Notice that the the story of the Exodus isn't uh, chapter one of Exodus, here's the law of God and Israel, if you just obey the law of God, then I will come rescue you from slavery. No, that's not our God. Our God is a God of grace where he will lead out with his grace being the main story, what he has done. And then, yes, there are ways he wants us to live. We're going to learn why. But God's grace always precedes God's law. 19 chapters of grace before we get one word about the law. God's grace is demonstrated and experienced by people before God's law is known by people. Obedience to God's law. Now listen, we're going to get there. There is a role for obedience. You see it in the text. If you obey everything I've told you. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. But obedience, here's why this is important to understand. Grace before law. Because obedience is always, it should always be a response to the grace of God. Obedience to God needs to be understood by all of us as a response to what God has done. Obedience isn't the checklist we do so that God will hear us and be with us and do the things we want him to do. We don't follow the law so that God delivers us. No, God delivers us through his grace, through Jesus. We're the people of the cross. And out of response of God's love, out of response of what God has done, you and I and every person on the earth has the invitation and the opportunity to obey God. Obedience is a response. Part of being a Mattisich is we talk about obedience to God is like a thank you note to God. Why do we do the things that God calls us to do? Because we want our lives to be a thank you note to God. That comes right from Fuller Youth Institute and Carapal, but it really works in our home. I don't want you to do good things just to be a good person or a good citizen, guys. I want you to be faithful to God because God has been amazing to you. Obedience is a response. Our lives are a thank you note. The main storyline of our lives is the grace of God before it's the ways of God. So God begins this section by looking backwards, reminding this people through Moses what he has done in history. 
But then he also looks forward in verse 5. Now, now here's our obedience. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. I think this is a look into the future. He begins by looking at his grace, reminding them of what he has done in history with them. And now he's pointing these people to the future. And yes, it's predicated on obedience. But obedience always sits as a response to what God has done. But he says a phrase here that is the main idea for today. He says, if you obey me, you'll be my treasured possession. Translation, you're going to be my special, unique people. This is good Old Testament. We sang it in one of the songs, one of the great hymns talked about Israel, seed of Israel's race. See, the way this works is God creates everything in the earth, every people group. But in this moment in God's story, he chooses Israel and he says, you and me, we're going to have a special relationship. You're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be my special people. And what we're going to do, I'm choosing you, we're going to live in such a way that the rest of the world will know who I am through the way you worship me. Through the way you have relationship with me, we will be a set-apart people to the rest of the world. Now, here's the great promise of God that even begins now, if you see, for all nations. God always intended for himself to be worshipped globally, and that's what we celebrate and recognize by the very complexion of each one of us in this room. Not very many Jewish believers a part of Lake Avenue, although there are. This is the very beginning where he says, I'm choosing you to be my treasured possession, my special people, my unique people, my distinctive people. But understand this, he does not say to them, you're my only people. He said, you're my treasured people for the sake of others, for the nations. He doesn't come with an exclusive contract and it's, uh, it's just you and me, Israel, and the rest of them, they're out. Let's just hone in our relationship and be awesome together. No, he says, you're my treasured people, not my only people. And it's through this unique, distinctive people and relationship that all peoples, all nations will know who I am as God. Treasured possession is the invitation that God begins here in chapter 19 of Exodus that lands for you and me today because the invitation is to continue to be a set-apart people, a treasured possession, not his only possession, but to have a relationship with God in such a way, to be a church in such a way where we demonstrate to the unbelieving world who God is, what his grace is, and how his ways are to be lived. God looks forward by inviting us to be a treasured possession. But he also, I believe, looks to the here and now in verse 6, an invitation into the present. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. This is where we get our theme for the next month of not an option. Priests and holy nation. 
not really words that uh, land very deeply in our context today. And some would even say the word priest is not really a great word in our culture. So we're going to need to get back to the text here, not let our cultural lens and, and current history of the Catholic Church and, and all of the pain and trauma that goes with that phrase for so many in this world, but to understand what the biblical definition is of priest essentially is this. Priests were the ones who taught the people about God. Priests were the one who brought God and people together. They were the mediator. So to be a priest meant you had to have very intentional relationships, one with God to understand who God is. And you actually had to be in proximity and relationship with people because your job was to bring these two together. Who God is to a people who doesn't know who God is, a priest is one who sits in the middle and brings these people together. And God is saying the priest is not a vocation for a certain kind of person, but as my people, you will be priests in this world. See where that, that idea comes? I'm choosing you, Israel, to be my treasured people. And as we have relationship, you'll be the mediator to the rest of the world as to who I am. And the invitation to be a priest is still an invitation for you and me today. But recognize that priests mediate between God and people. And there might have been a day where that mediation looked a lot different. It's always changing. We just heard a story of what that mediation looked like for Jan. You're going to hear stories in coming weeks of what it means to mediate between God and people all across this globe. There was a day where, where you, maybe, maybe by just having a great pastor, you could think that people would come into church and, and they, they would preach in such a way or the worship service would be amazing. And, and the very act of coming to a church building or a church service was the mediation between God and the rest of the world. And I would argue that to be a priest in the world you and I live in, if we really want to reach people who don't know God, the kind of priests in this world aren't necessarily going to start with people coming here. It's about us going to them. And it's subtle and it's subversive and it's different. And I experienced it this week at USC Keck Hospital where I was there way too much. But nobody knew what I did right away. And as I kept going to the fifth floor and back and getting to know the nurses and the medical staff who was serving my mother so faithfully, initiating conversation and relationship with them. Yes, I was there to love my mom, but it's where God sent me for the day to be a mediator between him and people. And maybe some of them know what I do for a living, but all of them that I had a meaningful conversation with know who my God is. Priests mediate between God and people in Lake Avenue Church what we're gonna see and what I pray that you are owning in your life is to be a priest in this world is subtle, subversive, and man, it can be fun. But he also says you're going to be a holy nation. And the way we need to understand this, because we do not live in the Old Testament context. We don't get to say, because that was the promise for Israel, that that means it's a promise for particular countries. Holy nation in this context means to be a distinctive people. Be, be this set apart people 
Be distinctive. In fact, he's going to continue in the Pentateuch here to give us Leviticus and most of Deuteronomy that starts getting really specific about how distinct he wants us to be. This is the kind of people I want you to be. Here's how I want you to relate with one another. Here's how I want you to relate to the outside world. You're going to start seeing when you read Leviticus and Deuteronomy all these instructions that some of them seem so odd and weird, but all of it was to help this people be a holy nation, to be set apart, to be distinct in this world, that it was through the way they lived in the ways of God that they would demonstrate to the rest of the world who God is. When we read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we start seeing that God has some things on repeat for his people to be distinct that continue today. We see that God has certain, certain priorities for the way his people will interact with one another. You see that God has certain priorities of, of the kinds of people the people of God are supposed to look out for, specifically the, the poor, widows, orphans. This refrain that begins in Leviticus and Deuteronomy carries through every genre of biblical literature. We see that God has morals, ways he wants his people to live and view, uh, view, the, uh, view their sexuality, the way they view human life. I mean, all of these distinctives are so that they will demonstrate to the rest of the world who God is, to be a distinctive kind of people. In fact, today at the end of service, you'll have two options. B is for benevolence, bucket, and then the plate is for offering. We take a benevolence offering every month because of this distinctiveness of what it means to be a follower of God, that we want to set aside money for those who are in a difficult circumstances, experience poverty, or in a, in a difficult place where they need a little extra help and resource. That's not because we want to be a nice church. It's because we want to be faithful to being a distinctive kind of people, a holy nation, a set-apart to demonstrate. We have been set apart by God to be a holy and distinct people, to demonstrate to the world, not isolate from the world. You and I have been called by God to be a holy nation, a set apart group of people, to demonstrate to the world who God is, not to isolate away from the world. Which means the way we live matters, church. It means the way we obey matters. The way we begin relationship with one another, the way we understand the story of God, always beginning with grace before we get to the law, all of it matters because it's in the way we live that we will model and invite people into who God is. Now, if you obey, sits in contrast with not an option. I get that. Because we do have options. But God's heart for us saying, you will be this if you're near me. God's grace, what he has done to bring people to himself. So in application and in preparation for this week, I just have a few questions. One, is it grace then law for you? I fear that for many followers of Jesus, and I fear for myself, who gets pretty fired up about right ways of living, that it's far too often that what we're known for is communicating the law of God apart from the grace of God. And what begins in Exodus, I believe, follows into the person of Jesus and throughout the New Testament, that God is always going to lead with who he is, what he has done, and then invite us into a response of obedience. You know what I love about Lake Avenue Church? 
I, I love people like Denny and Carolyn Repko and Roger and Lily Bosch. And although I met Jan for the first time, I've been praying for her for years. I love Diane Moore. Here's what I've noticed about those of our family who are, have been or are missionaries. The more they journey with Jesus, the more tender they become. The more the grace of God seems to permeate their whole being. Not the rigidness, not the harshness. I think when we allow God in our lives to begin with what God has done, we can be people who are people of grace. It's what I mostly miss about my late spiritual director. He was a missionary, he was a pastor, he was incredible, he was, he was amazing, his name was Paul. And I just went, man, if this is what it looks like to follow Jesus for 50 years, man, I'm in. A tenderness. Some of us need some correction. I know what my heart does. Do we understand that, yes, we have this invitation from God, but it's all predicated on what he has done, his grace. Some of us, the other question is, do you, do you sense the beautiful invitation to be his special treasured possession, but not his only? Treasured because of God's grace. Treasured because he saved you and me. Treasured because he died on the cross for you and me. And because we've been given forgiveness and redemption in Jesus, that we are special people with a new way of living. Some of us, the application here might be around being priests. And, and, and Lake Avenue Church, let's be, let's be a church of priests, but we've got to be near some pretty important elements to be faithful priests. One, you've got to be near God. I love that you're at church. I love that so many of you stream and will continue to stream. But if your only intake of God is a 30 to 44 minute monologue from this pulpit once a week, there's more near to God that he has for you. Is your, mark, is your life with Jesus marked by intimacy with God? We've got to get near God if we want to be good priests. And we've got to be really near people who need God to be good priests. We can't be faithful priests by ignoring one or the other. We've got to be near God and near other people. In fact, we're going to, at the end of this service, we're going to sing a song when I'm done. I know I've got to wrap it up. Our high school students are going to come in and we're going to commission them. Because they're going to leave very soon here to go to Houston for a missions project. Because in our prayer would be, as they get near God, God has instructed them to go get near some people living in difficult circumstances and to enter that space as priests mediators between God and his people. We have much to learn from our kids. I am afraid that especially pandemic realities and how isolated we have been, that our obedience to being priests, unfortunately, can be minimized to what I type or what I say. And to be a priest requires your physical body, your whole being, being present with God and present with other people. I implore you, if you're on campus right now in this room, before you leave today, as much as you need to connect and pray and connect with one another, I'm asking you to pray, walk around our campus, because a week from
come Monday, we'll have vacation Bible school going, and we need to pray that God would be near these kids, near these volunteers, near our church family, so they can bring Jesus, because obedience and being a priest requires our bodies, it requires us being near. And that holy nation, being a distinctive people, and I'm just going to leave us on this. I just wonder how distinctive we really are as followers of Jesus in this world. Are we really that distinctive? Is our, is our discourse in the church any different from the discourse on cable news? Are our marriage percentages of thriving and being faithful any different from the marriages in this world? Is there, is there that much of a difference for the people of God and the invitation is to be a holy nation, to be a set-apart people, that the way we live under the grace of what God has done in the ways he has called us to live is to demonstrate to the rest of the world who God is. And I know that I can grow in being more distinctive. 1 Peter chapter 2 Listen to the consistency of scripture. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Lake Avenue Church, over the next month, I pray that we would become who we are. That our lives would be a response to who God is, what he has done to rescue us. That we would own and celebrate our identity as a treasured group of people, as priests and a holy set-apart church. Father, we need your help. Help us, Father, to always begin our faithfulness to you because of what you have done in Jesus and your grace. God, I pray for many who maybe have been turned off to faith and religion because of the law, the, the way is being so loud, in fact, drowning out the story of grace. God, I pray that they would find hope in this congregation to celebrate the mercy and grace that you have given us and that we together might attempt to be faithful out of response to who you are and what you have done. God, I pray for those in this congregation that they would be near you, that they would be near others and be faithful priests. I pray, God, that you would help us at Lake Avenue Church be a distinctive people, a holy nation, a group of people so enamored with you so in love with you because of your love for us that it would stand out to the rest of the world who you are and that many would join us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
So these behind me are headed out in a week, and they will be headed off to Houston to be working with our partners uh, at Attack Poverty 
um, a ministry to multiple locations in and around the Houston area that allow for um, people's hearts to be changed and that we would step into the real needs of folks in and on the ground there. That's this group of people. That group of people over there, many of them are volunteering for VBS next week. And so as the high school teams have been thinking about how we are going to do missions week, (laughs) we've been dreaming about what it looks like for us to step into the lives of the littlest and those who are struggling. And we're trying to live that out. I mean, here we are at the, at, at the end, please, Jesus, the end of COVID, and able to step back into people's lives. And Jeff was just talking about this idea of remembering what it means to step into the life of someone else, and that is what this team is about to do. I'm so grateful for what they are doing and what we are doing, and I would in, invite you to join us in prayer next week. Join us in person next week as we begin VBS. There are so many amazing things happening in the life of the ministry at this church. People that are coming to know God, people who are serving the Lord, and we're so grateful. Would you join me in prayer by extending your hand? For those of you online, you can do this as well. Just extend your hand as a blessing and an agreement with this prayer. Spirit of the living God, as these ones have sacrificed time in this next week so that you might lead them, use them in another person's life in a place that we haven't been in a while, God, I pray that you would open their eyes. Open their eyes to what you see, Lord, so that they might step in the ways that your Holy Spirit is moving so that they might be able to to walk with those who are in pain, that they might be able to sit with those who are struggling, that they may be able to have the power and the courage to lean on you in the moments where they're able to minister to people in need. God, I ask and I pray that you would give them opportunity to not only learn about themselves, but learn about the issues affecting other people's lives, that they might be connected in such a way that as they return, their hearts will have been changed and moved and shaped and that those who are there in Houston will have known the presence of your son because of them in their lives. God, we pray this in the powerful son, your powerful son's name. Amen and amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? As you head into this week, if you need prayer for any reason, just out on the way uh, down to the parking lot, there are people who want to pray with you. A couple of weeks, we'll be getting prayer again up front. Um, On your way out, for those in the room, a basket is benevolence, plate is offering. Please give as generously as you feel led. And I do invite you, if you're able to stay, I know we went a little long, would you just find an area on campus to pray for all the preparations for Vacation Bible School, we'll we'll be able to do more intentional prayer next week. As you head into this week, go in peace and live by faith.
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit fuel you to live a life of obedience. And would you hold on to your identity as a priest in this world and a set-apart people. Go in peace.